0: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Jose. Appreciate you guys. Well, good morning. Glad to see you on this Thanksgiving weekend and the start of Advent and the Advent season. Uh, like Mark said, my name is Jamie Moore, if you don't know me. Uh, I serve as associate pastor here. Glad that you're here. And if you're online watching with us, we're glad that you're here as well. there are going to be uh, a couple moments during uh, this message. We're kind of doing a hybrid of what Dennis and I have been doing the last 12 weeks, which is discussion and engagement with the group. It's going to be a hybrid, so I'm going to preach, and we're going to discuss. So if that sounds complicated and it'll be interesting to see how it goes, I feel the same way. So <laughs> we will see how this goes. So if you're online uh, and have any questions, comments, thoughts, please put those in the chat, and uh, I will be also monitoring my phone at the same time. So hopefully) um, We will be able to get this going. Um, Thank you again, Mark, um, for for leading us in worship. Um, We are starting Advent in our Advent series. And our Advent series is called Promises of Hope. Promises of Hope. And the big idea of the series of these next four weeks, the big idea um, is this. The Old Testament prophets teach us how to wait well for the coming king as we come to the end of a difficult and divisive 2020. So Advent's going to be interesting. Basically, our series is going to be tracking with the Old Testament prophets each week and seeing how the prophets are talking about this coming Savior, and then applying that, Old Testament prophets speaking about this coming Savior, Jesus, and then talking about what does that mean for us at the end of 2020, looking into 2021, what does that mean? Do the Old Testament prophets even say anything that matters to us in 2020? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. My argument is that the answer is yes. And that's what we'll be exploring over the next four weeks. So the message is in four parts. Number one, the season, so we're just going to talk about Advent and the prophets. Number two, the context, we're going to be specifically looking at Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah this morning. The promise, Jeremiah the prophet writes, behold, the days are coming, so we're going to look at that promise, and then we're going to have practical application. And there'll be three moments, like I said, you're going to get to turn to your neighbor, discuss for a couple minutes, and then we're going to have some sharing in the room. Sound good? All right, let me pray for us. And then we're going to go after Jeremiah 33. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here with us this morning. Father, I thank you for this season. I thank you that as the temperature drops, as the season changes, we can sense a new thing is coming. That there is a rhythm to your life with us. And I ask, Father, that you will give us a fresh vision of Jesus this Advent season. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will revive us again and renew us again. Holy Spirit, we ask for eyes to see and hearts to adore the Christ child who came to die for the sins of the world. Jesus, we give you this season. We give you the end of 2020. And we ask that you be near us and teach us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Jeremiah 33. And I realize that I don't have my Bible. There it is. Okay. All right, Jeremiah thirty-three. We're looking at verses fourteen to sixteen. So we begin the season, the season of Advent. Some people are not um, real sure what Advent is, so I just want to take a couple of seconds just to make sure that we understand what what is Advent. People talk about Advent. What is it? Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. The verb to come coming. Uh, Adventus, Advent, coming. And um, it has been used by uh, the Christian church, started about the fourth century, and believers would gather and take four weeks, the four weeks from Thanksgiving to Christmas, those four Sundays, this church began this tradition um, of reflecting, repenting, and reconsidering their faith in Christ. And you know how in the liturgical calendar we'll have the season of Lent right before Easter? In many ways, this is almost like another lent thing leading into Christmas. Do you all see that? So there's a, there's a symmetry there, that Lent heads into Easter, and there's a time of repentance and renewal as we head into the resurrection of Jesus. But then at the beginning, before Jesus' life, there is again this season of repentance and renewal before the Christ child comes Christmas. But it's interesting because there's a dual significance. A lot of things in Christianity actually have dual significance. (laughs) It's not just that we're celebrating the first coming of Jesus when he came as a baby, born in a manger. It's not just the first coming that we're looking forward to in Advent. There is another coming, right? So Advent is actually at two levels Advent is a season where we're thinking about the coming of Jesus when he came as a baby. And at the same time, the second coming of Jesus when he will come and make all things right. So there's two things happening during this season. We're decorating our house. We're thinking about Christmas. We're thinking about this little baby born in a manger. At the same time, we're saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly because 2020 was rough. And we need your presence with us. We need you with us. So there's dual significance at play. Now, the prophets are speaking through the inspiration of God, and and the prophets in the Old Testament are roughly saying the same thing. They're warning the people of God, and they say, listen, if you keep doing what you're doing and running away from God, judgment is coming. And so they're consistently saying, it says, if you don't repent, (laughs) then judgment is coming. And they're specifically the prophets are speaking to the leaders of the people of Israel. Like, guys, you're not leading well. You're not leading justly. They're saying, repent. Turn back to God or judgment is coming. And then they're saying, oh, by the way, we know you're not going to, so judgment is coming. (laughs) But when after judgment, a Savior is coming to rescue you. That's the general feel of the prophets, what they're saying. Warning against judgment repent because you're not going to repent judgment is coming (laughs) after judgment a hero is coming to rescue you and to restore you and the prophets utilize all this david language to speak of this coming hero so it's been very intentional we've been looking at david for 12 weeks and really this is like an extended david series because the prophets are talking about this hero that's coming in david language they're going to refer to him as this coming one in the line of David. And of course, that coming one is Jesus, the Messiah. That's who the prophets are talking about. So, last thing I want to say so what? Why, why do this? Why do this, Advent 2020? A couple of thoughts. Advent gives us a chance to lament the losses of 2020. You know what I'm talking about? The things we've lost this year. Advent gives us a chance, a moment, to not flippantly run into Christmas time and self medicate what's going on in our hearts with candy canes and presents. Y'all hear me? Because sometimes there is a triviality to Christmas where it's all reindeer. Let's just, and really what's happening in our culture is that if I focus on presents and reindeer and Christmas and Santa, I can try to stuff down the aching that's happening inside. But Advent, this season, gives us a chance to go, no, actually, this stinks. What happened this year is not right. And we're going to put our hope in Jesus for 2021. That's one of the reasons why we would do this, Advent 2020. Another chance is for us to repent of sin, to experience renewal in our relationship with God. Also gives us a chance to engage with each other in community and encourage one another. I know there's some difficulty with that with COVID, but us intentionally engaging with one another to be an encouragement to one another. So here's the plan, Advent series plan. This week, we're looking at hope, Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16. Next week, we're looking at peace, December 6th, Micah 5, 2 to 5. Third week of Advent, we'll look at joy, December 13th. That's Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20, one of my favorite passages. I I say that about all of them, but (laughs) I really like Zephaniah 3. Uh, And then the Sunday before Christmas, December 20th, looking at love from Isaiah 9 two to seven. So that's the plan. All right. It's hard on a message like this because you're trying to like set everything up and engage with the text, but that's that. Okay. Let's look at the context. Let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33 verses 14 to 16. So big idea for the book of Jeremiah, and, and really it's very similar to what all the prophets are saying, but the big idea for Jeremiah is this. God is good, gracious, and faithful to his covenant with his people. That's number one. Number two, God's people ignore him over and over and over and over and over again. Three, there's a warning of judgment. Exile is coming. There's a, there's a foreign land, foreign people that are going to come and take you out of the promised land. You'll be exiled. There's going to be destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, all the rest of it, because you're continuing ignoring him. And then after judgment, a promised hope of return. Hope is coming. And here's the, one of the crux verses of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 6. This is from the net translation. The Lord said to his people, this is Jeremiah 6, 16-17, you are standing at the crossroads. So consider your path. Ask where the old reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing and follow it. If you do, you will find rest for your souls. Who's up for rest for their souls, right? If you follow this path, it leads to blessing and rest for your souls. But they said, this is the people of God, we will not follow it. (laughs) The Lord said, I appointed prophets as watchmen to warn you saying, pay attention to the warning sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. So God God is speaking, he's revealing himself. It's like, listen, if you just walk the path that I'm telling you to walk, all will be well. Just trust me on this. And people are like, you know what? I don't think so, I'm gonna do my own thing. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of? Maybe. God is saying, literally, this ancient path, if you walk on it, you will find rest for your soul. I don't want to, looks kind of gross, I want this one, and walk off. It's a classic human nature thing. Very quickly, the structure of the book of Jeremiah. I'm just helping us get context. Because sometimes when you jump into a passage, especially a prophetic text, um, it gets a little confusing as to what's happening. So very quickly, there's the call in Jeremiah, that's chapter 1. There's prophetic warnings against Judah. There's the pre-fall of Jerusalem. Then the book of comfort, and that's where our text is. It's in chapter 33 the book of comfort. Then there's more narrative, the post-fall of Jerusalem, chapters 34 to 45. There's prophetic warnings against the nations, specifically Babylon, 46 to 51, and the fall of Jerusalem. So our passage that we're about to look at is right in the middle of the book of Jeremiah where he's giving these warnings. Here it comes, here it comes. And then there's this comfort and consolation and hope. That's what's in this text. So, some things to consider. This is a tumultuous time. It's an uneasy time. It's an anxious time. There's idolatry. There's unjust leaders. There's corruption. There's hypocritical rituals. There's suffering. The original readers of Jeremiah are in Babylon right now, in exile, reading this text. So I'm just helping you get the context. The original readers of Jeremiah are in Babylon in a foreign land after being taken captive and enslaved. They're living in a foreign land and they're reading these words of hope. And the longing of their heart is that last line. We need a hero to rescue us. They've lost the promised land. They've lost the temple. They've lost everything. We need a hero. So, Discussion time. Let's talk a little bit. I'm gonna take two minutes to discuss a couple questions to ask ourselves. What have you heard the fathers say that you have not obeyed? What what are those crossroad things where you're like, I know God said to do this, and I just I'm just not doing it. I'm I'm taking my own path. And then secondly, another question to discuss: What have you lost in this tumultuous 2020? What have you lost? It's really good and healthy for us to express. This is something that was lost this past year in my life or in my family's life. Right? Two minutes. If you're at home, turn to your neighbor, talk about those things in in the house. Two minutes, let's discuss, and then we'll come back and share what we've heard. Two minutes. Okay, let's share around the room. If uh, anybody wants to share, just raise your hand. Terry's got a microphone and she'll clean off the mic. And uh, if you'll just keep your mask on and then share. And if you're online, go ahead and put those comments in the chat. And then uh, let's discuss a little bit um, this, these questions or anything else that you're hearing the Father say here um, during this time as we look at this first section. Burr? Thank you for sharing. And it's a PS to
1: that. Um it's a rather mundane sort of thing to share, however, at this time of year, you know, when you're running around like a fool trying to get all your gifts together. And I bought a bunch of them early, and I hate them in a very secret place apparently because I couldn't find them. And I was
2: looking for them and I mean I spent three days looking for them in every closet and we'd be looking
1: for any and they weren't little gifts either. And I felt like an idiot. And all of a sudden, on my way to bed my night at about one o'clock,
3: I said, okay, Lord, you know where they are. And bam, I got it. And I found them.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good story. So Burr's not listening, and you are listening, is what I'm, is what I'm picking up on this, is what... Uh... <laughs> Who else? Who else would like to share? I know those are challenging questions out of the gate. We got Scott over here.
2: Thanks. Um, So the one thing that I've, I've, during COVID, that's been unique for me is that I am listening to God. I lived a life pre-COVID that was busy, And 80, 90-hour work weeks, lots of travel, all that kind of stuff. And that all went away. So I lost that. But then what God put back in was, okay, Scott, now I've got you. Listen to me. And specifically, he said two things to me in the last month or so. Number one, and I mentioned this earlier, was that he defined me as caller. And I'm still trying to work that out, but I'm pretty sure that that is that he wants my voice to, to be calling people to him. And the second thing is, is that I, I have some pretty significant health issues. And, and I had a health checkup here recently, and we were about ready to go on a protocol that was going to be pretty significant in my life. And I prayed about it, and the Lord said to me two words, intermittent fasting. And we've all heard about fasting and how important it is and how biblical it is. But God was saying to me, Scott, if you want to get healthy, you have to start intermittent fasting. And I've been doing it to some extent, but not as much as I need to. So that is one area. And then the second thing, what have I lost in 2020? Nothing. Really nothing. I mean, there's some things about travel that I liked, and I miss being in airports and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't missed anything because God has filled so much more that whatever i felt i missed is so insignificant that i don't feel lament. i feel grateful that i've got more god and less of whatever else i had that i didn't that i'm not missing.
0: Good. It's good, Scott. Good testimony. Anybody else? Okay, well, let's jump into the next section, part three, the promise itself. The promise itself is Jeremiah thirty-three, fourteen 14 to 16. Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So a couple of things that I want you to see. He starts out with, behold, the days are coming. You can already see contextually, if I'm in exile in Babylon and I'm reading these words, I'm like, I can't wait for these days to come, right? Like the days I'm in right now stink. I want these days that are coming. He says, behold, the days are coming. And then he says, the Lord will fulfill the promise that he made to the house of Israel. So God has made a a promise to the people of Israel he's made a promise to them about what? Thoughts? You, you can shout out. What has God promised? They're sitting in exile. They're sitting in Babylon. What has he promised to them? A savior? Hmm. Rebuilding. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. The temple will be restored. The worship of me will be restored. He's making promises. He's saying, listen, it looks really, really dark right now, but I'm I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to you. And then he says, this is how I'm going to do it, verse 15. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David. So he's picking up on David as the king, which we just looked at for 12 weeks, right? He said, there's coming someone in the line of David. He's going to spring up. And that, that language of branch or vine, all of this language is all throughout the scriptures. Branch, tree, vine. It's language of life, right? Life, fruitfulness, a tree that protects, right? And makes shade. He says, there's coming an A perfect David, coming from the line of David, he's going to come as a branch and he's going to execute justice and righteousness in the land. He's going to do what no other king could do. Even as good as David was, he he wasn't really just and righteous all the time. Asterix, Bathsheba, right? Asterix, Uriah. Asterix, any of the other things. But there's coming this perfect hero from the line of David. And what are the results? Justice, righteousness, verse 16. Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. There will be peace. And he says, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So there's this nickname, the Lord is our righteousness. And the very last king of Judah was named Zedekiah. Zedekiah. He was the last king of Judah before they were taken into exile into Babylon. Zedekiah's name means he is our righteousness. So there's a play at, is a play at work, there's a, a name play, which is when, some, when the original hearers hear God is going to call it the Lord is our righteousness, he's pointing to that king who was the very last king before they went into exile. Are you all seeing this? For God's people is centered in a person, not circumstances. All the promises, even the promise of the return to Jerusalem, is more because God is there. That's their thinking. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we think, if I just had this thing right here, then everything will be right, but that thing isn't actually a person named Jesus. So, the the prophet is even speaking what your heart longs for is a perfect hero named Jesus. That's what the prophet is speaking of. So he makes a promise. This is Jeremiah 31. So earlier in this book of comfort section, he says this, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. See, this new covenant is a personal heart covenant. The first covenant was a covenant where here are the rules, don't break the rules. And the, the rules are external. So it's just a list. It's like, okay, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to break these rules. And then we break them, right? Because it's external. He says a new covenant is coming where I'm going to take those rules. I'm actually going to put them on the heart of my people. I'm actually going to give them a new heart. It's the very spirit of God himself, right? Within us, giving us the capacity to obey and to Follow the commands of God. So there's this promise of this new covenant. And there's this Messiah, this figure, this leader, Isaiah 11. This, again, this branch language, this Messiah. I'll, I won't read the whole thing. He just says this. <laughs> there will come a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Do you hear the, the tree language? <laughs> a shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And then later, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child will lead them. So all of this fulfillment, all of this prophetic stuff is centered in on Jesus, the son of David, the Davidic king, and the Messiah. And this is good news. When Jesus dies on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus, the Messiah, the King, is taking on himself the sin of the entire world. Follow me. Jesus is exiled from the Father so that you and I could be returned to the Father. Are y'all following me? Like all this language of... Egypt, being in slavery in Egypt and then finding freedom, and then being exiled in Babylon and then coming back to the promised land. All of that trapped and then freedom, exiled and then freedom is pictured in the cross where Christ takes on our sin. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Christ takes on our sin, that which enslaved us, like the people of Israel and Egypt, that which enslaves Jamie in his mind and in his heart, that sin nature literally is eradicated and broken by Jesus. He takes it on himself. And the separation, the exile between my heart and the Father, where I'm experiencing this Babylon thing, Jesus is forsaken in my place so that I become a child of God. Are y'all hearing this? We are naturally enemies of God, separated from him. We need a hero to rescue us and bring us back. And what that hero does is he dies in our place as a substitute for us. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was perfect, to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of the gospel. We are set free and we are no longer exiled from the Father because of the Messiah King who has broken sin and death and has restored us to relationship with the Father. All of this culminates in Jesus. So let's talk about biblical hope then. The way the Bible talks about hope It doesn't trivialize pain and suffering. Have you ever been around someone who's just, their idea of hope is just to ignore it and just kind of just act like everything's fine? The Bible does none of that. The Bible acknowledges pain and suffering because God himself has taken on the suffering of the world. The Bible doesn't trivialize pain and suffering. So biblical hope is found in this person, Jesus, who is acquainted with grief. (laughs) And it's rooted in the nature and the past behavior of a good and gracious God. We can have hope because of the nature and past behavior of God. He has been faithful to his people over and over and over and over again. He has rescued his people over and over and over again. So even in the midst of suffering, we can trust him that he is going to be good and do what he says he's going to do. All right, we're about to move into another time of discussion. I want to pick up on some things that are happening online. Sherry Collins mentioned, I've lost a lot this year, and I've definitely grieved the losses but what I've gained so far outshines what I've lost that I don't even have words to express it, which is a lot of what Scott's saying. It's beautiful. Robert Bansky, we've lost the ability to freely gather without risk. However, as a people of God, we have been able to stay connected with him and each other. I thank God for technology, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's Zoom Zoom fatigue, let's be honest. But that's better than not seeing people at all. Uh, Corey Lush, I've lost the physical contact of so many and the organic work conversations where I can share about Jesus in the office. So another thing lost in 2020. Thank you guys for sharing. So our discussion right now, we're gonna take two minutes. What are some things that you're waiting and hoping for? I would just threw some things out there. You know, for some, for some of us, we're we're waiting and hoping on a lot of different things. I'm thinking vaccines, right, for 2021. Uh, maybe the presidential candidate, like hoping that maybe this candidate will actually make things right. Have, just as a spoiler alert, no president can solve any issues. <laughs> maybe job, health finances, peace, maybe the whole getting back to normal. So what are the things that you're waiting and hoping for? And then the question, are the things you're hoping for eternal? And Mark was getting at this a little bit earlier at the beginning of the service. But it's good to hope for things. There's nothing wrong in in hoping for a vaccine. There's nothing wrong in hoping for getting being able to get back together with each other. But I just want to speak very pragmatically to you. If the thing that I put ultimate hope in is not God himself, it will not satisfy me when and if I get it. Are y'all hearing me? This is why Christmas Day is one of the most anticlimactic moments of all of our lives. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Or is it just me? <laughs> like, right? Right? You get to Christmas Day. You got the presents. You open them. Isn't there a crash? Does it, does anyone else feel the crash in your heart? Oh, that no. That wasn't that great. Or how about when you get a new shiny thing and then it wears off after about two days? That's what we're talking about. So it's good to hope in things. Yes. Just understand if you're going to put your ultimate hope in something, not Jesus, then eventually, when and if you get it, it will wear off because it's not eternal. Okay, I'm starting to preach. So, group discussion what are some things that you're waiting and hoping for? And just kind of discuss that concept of putting our hope in eternal things. Two minutes. I'm going to draw you back. Uh, if you're online, put in the chat um, some of the things that you discussed. Who wants to share? Give me one of these questions or something else that the Father is speaking to you. Terry's got Mike. So anybody want to share? While you're thinking, Rob Seton said, <clears throat> I'm hoping for a shift in our collective mindset to not go back to normal but to move forward with a new normal that thinks more about neighbor than our individual desires. It's good. A shift to not go back to normal. It's good. Yeah, Krista.
1: Hey. Um, so as I was uh, reading that first question, I realized that I had placed hope in a, um, oh, I hope we get that vaccine so we can get back to normal. And I, I didn't realize that I had put hope there. And um, I guess as as Rob just shared, and then as uh, Scott shared with me, that maybe that's not, God has taken us out of that. These are his, his words. I'm sharing his story that God had placed us. Uh, he took us out of that to place us into something better and, and bigger. So I guess, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing what you said. But I
0: thought that was really good, what he shared with me. It's good. It's good. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, um, God whispers, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote God whispers to us in times of joy, but he shouts, it's a megaphone in times of pain. Because when when I'm dealing with, ah, this hurts, this doesn't feel right. My soul and spirit are immediately like, where's the solution? <laughs> and in that moment, if, if I will just listen, God will speak very loudly to me in that moment. And it's when I'm feeling great and I'm like, my life is like a lazy river and I'm just on this little, you know, inner tube, just love and life, I'm completely ignoring Him. So there's something, too. I mean, nobody wants pain, right? Nobody wants to suffer. But God meets us so intimately. And so profoundly in times of suffering and pain that it's almost as if he created that so we would get him. He didn't create that, but he's so good in it that it almost feels like he created that. You know what I'm talking about? So he, he he shouts. He's communicating to us in that time of pain and suffering. Anybody else? Yeah, Nash.
3: I I can identify and say that I am uh, waiting and hoping for all of those things on that list Um, with a focus on my health and finances. But even more important than all of that, one of my daily prayers is for the salvation, healing and deliverance of my family members. And so I would say that that does address question two are these things you hoping for eternal? And yes, they are. The salvation of my children and grandchildren, it's, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. It trumps all of that other stuff. Although those things concern me, there's nothing more concerning than knowing that my children are not saved and knowing that my grandchildren are turning from the ways of the Lord. It is, it just, yeah.
0: It's almost like the introduction of the concept of eternity kind of clarifies the list of importance.
3: Yes.
0: And that's what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Will you pray right now for, because I think, think there would be many of us that have family members and friends that we're praying that they will come to faith in Christ. Is that fair yes. to say? Yes. So Terry, will you just pray um, for our church family and for the gospel to go out uh, into Uh, friends and family that don't know Jesus right now. Father,
1: um, wow, you know, this is exactly what's on my heart. And, um, Lord, we just come to you, and we just thank you that um, you did send Jesus um, as uh, the Lamb of God, Father, to take away the sin of the world. And, Father, we just pray right now for our um, collective families, Lord. Um, each person here, um, just come to mind. I know there's someone that's on your mind that you would want to to come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus and have that substitutionary sacrifice that he died in your place just to know it, Father, the peace and comfort that that brings, Father. And we just um, ask that you um, just cause your word to come to pass, Lord. You said it would not return void. And, Father, we just pray right now that... As um, this word is being spoken today and all the words that have been spoken to our family members over our lifetimes, Lord, that those words would spring forth and grow and just bring forth fruit, Father, um, because they're your words. And that's what your word does. It creates life, Lord. And we just pray that you plant that deep inside and cause those seeds of your word to grow inside hearts, Lord, and bring many Sons to glory. Father, we just thank you that um, your word is that powerful. And you, because of you, Lord, because of who you are. And we just thank you for that. And, Father, I just pray for the wider church, Father, that this time of um, isolation and um, of really deep thoughts about um, apocalyptic things, Lord, that you will cause that to um, bring many people To you, Lord, and to the knowledge of Jesus and of the truth, Lord, that um, Jesus is the only way to you. And we pray all these
0: things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Terry. A couple other folks sharing online. Um, Dennis Spurgeon praying, hoping for united Christians as one in the mission of Jesus. John and Sue Panzica waiting for truth and justice to prevail. Mary Ellen Hoball, um, losing the distractions of 2020 and returning to a confidence in Christ that seems to have been lost. And then Jan Gittinger, loss of independence temporarily, but have I ever really been independent? Hasn't God always been carrying me? That's a good, that's good, Jan. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's move to our last. This is uh, just application. I just want us just to think through practical application. And and the the reason I'm I'm pressing here is sometimes the verb to wait uh, conjures up thoughts that are not biblical thoughts about what we should be doing. For me, when I hear a lot of times when I hear wait, I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna sit here and wait for God to do something. Right? And there is an inherent passivity to the word wait. And so Basically, the big idea of this practical obligation is biblical waiting is not passive, but it is very active. That's the truth that we're looking at right now. So what do we do when waiting? So waiting in hope is not passive. Rather, it looks like actively engaging those around you in hopeful expectation that the kingdom of God is coming. So when we say waiting in hope, we say waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the second coming. This isn't passive. This, it looks like actively engaging with those around us with hopeful expectation that the kingdom of God is coming. And I'm pulling this from Jeremiah 29, 4 to 13. Now, many of us know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, we know this passage. We, we print it on coffee mugs. We print it on shirts. And it makes us feel really, really good, right? And it's a great passage. But have you ever thought about the context of this passage? Where are the original hearers of this text? In Babylon. In exile. In exile. And the context, the previous verses to this passage says this. This is starting at verse 4. I don't have it up there, so just keep looking at that. But this is, this is the context. Thus, this starts in verse 4 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is what he tells them to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's talking about Jerusalem. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Follow me. What, it, what waiting on God's plans looks like is actively engaging the people around us with hopeful expectation that the kingdom of God is coming. Are y'all hearing me? Because that's good preaching right there. Yeah, yeah. It's not, oh, God, please. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and just, <laughs> I'm home. I'm home. No, he says, build houses, pray for the people in your city, seek the welfare of your city, and I'm going to bless the city through you. Yes, yes. Anybody have any heart for Cincinnati? <laughs> Listen, some practical applications. Some practical applications. Personally, yes, express lament to the Father for the losses of 2020. Repent and renew your relationship. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me half-heartedly. Is that what it says? He says... You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? All All your heart. He said, come after me. Waiting doesn't mean like, I hope he comes and gets me. No, it says, go after him. Consider the symbolism of evergreen decorations, that there's, there's new life in evergreen. Cultivate thankfulness by remembering the Father's past faithfulness to you. And then some corporate applications. Pray for your street. This is where I was getting out with Jeremiah 29. Pray for your street, neighborhood, and city. And seek to bless your street, your neighborhood, and your city. You know, there have been times where Jess and I have been talking and, and we think to ourselves, White Pine, our street, should be prayed for and blessed because the Moors are there. You know what I'm talking about? That it's no accident the Moors live on the street that they live on. God is seeking to bless that street through us. And oh, by the way, every other street (laughs) that you guys live on, you are the kingdom of God ambassador for that street to bless it. That's what waiting in hope looks like. Praying for, blessing, and actively engaging the people around us. Another corporate application: actively engaging with the MCC family. Uh, when when you're in a time of um, when you're in a time of waiting, it's always better to wait with others. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Rather than by ourselves. So we're looking at in the new year in this new uh, attributes of God series called Astonished. We're looking at encouraging everyone to at the very least join. Some of our groups are still going to try to do some things in person. But at the very least, have everybody join in with a small group, Zoom online for 12 weeks while we do that series. So at the start of the new year, a 12-week commitment. So we're asking everybody to consider jumping in for 12 weeks as we go through the Attributes of God series. Then another thing, to consider encouraging the MCC family. We're looking to have people share five-minute testimonies or devos of what's God doing in your life. Because it's so encouraging when I hear Krista and Scott and Terry and Naj and other people talking as as melodious as my voice is and Dennis's voice is. We're not the only voices that need to be heard. Y'all hear me? So we're asking for people to share, share testimony. So just some ideas for application. Don't wait passively, but to actively wait. So, final sharing i know i said we're going to do some discussion but let's just go ahead and share what are some i wills what are some application pieces that you're sensing in your heart that you would like to share um, for advent 2020 what is the father saying to you right now what are some i wills anybody want to share Yeah, Burr. Terry. Uh, our at
3: Christmas time, we it. Terry and I
2: have always hosted a neighborhood Christmas gathering. For, I don't know, twenty years, thirty years. It's been a long time. Forty, 40 she says. <laughs> and you know who does all the work, right? Anyway, uh, we're not going to be able to do that this year. And yet, up here, you have. Uh, one of the things was share the Advent with your neighbors. So my prayer is going to be, okay, Lord, show me how I can replace that gathering with a sharing in a new way where you lead.
0: Anybody else? I know our online folks are about two minutes behind us. So when they hear me say something, they're about two minutes before they hear it. So they're a little delayed in getting back to us. Um, Anybody else? Well, I want to encourage you. Again, when we say waiting and hope, the Father has strategic moments for each of us over the next four weeks. He has strategic plans, he has strategic concepts and ideas and creative ideas. So the next four weeks is not, I'm just trying to survive to Christmas. No, it's not survive to Christmas. It's what's the father doing and what do I get to do with him over these next four weeks leading into Christmas time? How can I wait actively in hope for what he's doing in my midst? Last thing I want to say, and then, uh, in fact, Mark and Jose are going to come on up. Because we're going to do one final song. It's a fascinating psalm. It's Psalm 137. And Psalm 137, um, the psalmist writes, we're sitting by the waters of Babylon, and we're remembering Jerusalem. And there's a line, it says, and it says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So there's an entire psalm, Psalm 137, I encourage you to go read it this week, where It's a psalm written in this time of exile. And the people of God are expressing like, how do we worship when stuff feels so broken and disconnected? And the psalmist says, roughly, this is Jamie's paraphrase, I'm going to sing anyway in the midst of that suffering. I'm going to sing lament into that situation. I'm not going to... Uh, Be destroyed by this circumstance, but I'm going to go ahead and worship uh, in the midst of that. And one of the ways that's worked in my mind is sometimes I'll sing a hymn or a song, and the the psalmist or the the writer of the song has written these words, and I look at the words and I say to myself, my heart does not say that, right? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I mean, I'm looking at the words, I'm like, my heart does not feel those words. But there's something in me that, I don't know if you experience this, where I want to say things that are true, (laughs) Right? I I don't want to say things that are not true. And yet, when I come to a worship song and I look at the text, I've learned to sing through the reality, which is to say, I see a text and I go, Father, I want this to be true in my heart. So Holy Spirit, would you make it true? And I'm going to sing as you make it true. Are y'all following me? There's something to saying, I'm going to sing through the lament. I'm going to sing through the suffering and ask the Holy Spirit to make this true in my heart. So we're going to sing one final song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a classic Advent Christmas song. I'm asking us to sing, and ask the Holy Spirit to make this longing for Jesus reality. That if we could just get Jesus, all would be well. So let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing. Father, I thank you for Jeremiah. I Thank you for your words through this prophet. I thank you for this season to reflect and to renew our relationship with you. To seek you with all of our heart and to be found. <laughs> that you would be found as we seek you. And ask as we sing and as we go from this place, Holy Spirit, that you will line our hearts with the truth of Scripture and the truth of these songs that we sing. So we give you this time. We give you our hearts in worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.